All right, Mark chapter 9, verses 42 to 50. Follow along as I read. And as always, as I read, do your best to focus and follow along. This is normally the time where you begin well in following the reading of God's word, but you disengage at some point because you're distracted by what you're going to have for lunch or what you didn't do this morning that you should, I don't know, but focus as I read, yeah? Chapter 9, verse 4 is 50. It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenching fire, unquenchable fire. Verse 45. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it off. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God um, with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Welcome to church. We're going to be talking about amputating parts of our bodies. Let's pray. We need to pray. All right, let's pray. God, our lives are in your hands. May we rest in your grace. May we rest in your goodness and your greatness this morning and throughout our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What would you think of the person who knew about a coming disaster but chose to not warn people about it? What would you think about the doctor who discovered a cancerous tumor in one of his patients but decided not to tell him about it? What would you think of the scientist who knew about uh, an impending natural disaster but decided not to announce it to the general public? Um, what would you think of the mechanic who diagnosed the problem in your car um, but decided not to tell you because they didn't want to ruin your day? What would you think about the friend who could see a booger in your nose just before you went to an important interview, but just didn't want to tell you because you know that, you know, you know, you've had that before, right? You just gotta tell him. What would you think of that friend? What would you think of the pilot who knew that there was something wrong with the plane, but instead of telling everybody that there's a, not just the turbulence, but something seriously wrong with the plane, like one of the wings fell off? Imagine 
if he decides not to tell you? What would you think about the doctor? What would you think about the scientist, the mechanic, the pilot, that friend? There are difficult things in life, ladies and gentlemen. And even though they are difficult for us to hear, it's better we know about them for our own good than to remain in the dark. The Bible talks about things that are difficult to hear. And the subject we're about to look at this morning, the subject of hell, is one of those difficult things that is talked about in the Bible by Jesus himself. But the most important thing I want you guys to get by the time that we're done is that Jesus tells us about the reality and the horror of hell, not to be cruel, not to scare us, but his ultimate goal in telling us about these difficult things is to demonstrate the goodness and greatness of who God is. And so in the time we have, let's take a dive into God's word to discover afresh the goodness of God by looking at what Jesus has to say about the ugliness of sin and the horror of hell. Look at verse 41 again. What does it say? It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. At first glance, okay, it seems Jesus is speaking out against the mistreatment of children, um, but this is not the point. Jesus was absolutely against or is absolutely against any mistreatment of children whatsoever, but that's not the point he's making here. The point he's trying to make with what he just said um, it's helpful, we, we, we know that once we understand what the term little ones mean, okay, the term little ones, okay, when he says that, he was not referring to a child, but to Christians who believe in him. Paul Tripp, who I love very much, says the term little ones is actually an affectionate term for those who have believed in him. And so here in this verse, Jesus is warning us about the seriousness of causing another believer to sin. And he does so by revealing that it would be better for the person who commits such a sin to die by being drowned by a millstone than to face the punishment required for such a sin. You guys with me? Yes, you are. Good. In ancient Israel, a millstone was a kitchen utensil used for grinding wheat or other grains. A typical millstone was so heavy, was so big, that only an animal like a donkey was able to pull it and turn it in order to grind grain. This was a metaphor Jesus used to communicate 
something to us. And what he wants to communicate to us is the seriousness of the sin of causing another believer to sin. In essence, he's saying this. To intentionally cause others to sin is so severe, the punishment for such a sin is way more horrific than one of the worst ways a person can die. One author said it this way, it's better to drown in the sea with no chance of escape than to face the judgment that God will dish out to those who lead others to sin. Question, have you or are you causing another believer to sin? Does the way you live as a professing Christian strengthen the faith of another believer or discourage the faith of another believer? It's clear as daylight. Jesus is warning us against the sin of causing someone else to sin. And causing others to sin is as bad as actually sinning against someone. As intense as that was, Jesus gets way more intense here. He's about to share something that is considered um, one of his most graphic and controversial teachings he goes from the punishment deserved for causing others to sin to the sacrifices his followers should be willing to make to escape hell and experience God to the fullest. Look at verse 43 to 48 again. Verse 43, and it says, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, Tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Lastly, verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. These are strong and graphic words from Jesus. For his disciples and the average Jew, what Jesus just shared would have left them stunned. Why? Because of the high value they placed, we all placed on the body in Jewish thinking, the hands, the feet, the eyes, and other body parts were gifts from God to be enjoyed in this life. They were viewed as precious possessions. But Jesus comes along and teaches something totally opposite. He says, this is what he's saying, be willing to discard the very thing you value the most in order to gain access to, mo to the most valuable thing of all. Some of you here 
may be new to Christianity, welcome. Very, very good choice. I'm coming this Sunday. Welcome. <laughs> and because of this, this is probably the first time you've heard of something like this, this passage, this whole idea, chopping off hands and body parts, okay? First time you've heard it. And if you've got question marks all over around your head, it makes sense. You're not alone, okay? For some of you, you're familiar with this passage, but it's one of those Bible passages that makes you absolutely uncomfortable. Welcome. You're in good company. It makes me uncomfortable. It certainly makes many Christians uncomfortable. Uh, this is, I would say, in Christianity, this is a passage we're not proud of. And the reason I know we're not proud of it is because when did you last see a Christian with a Christian t-shirt that has, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. <laughs> if there are t-shirts online being sold with this passage, let me know. Be very surprised. There's no songs, right? Christian songs. Imagine this morning. If your eye causes... If there's, <laughs> imagine, Dan, we should write a song. <laughs> oh, no bumper stickers. Oh my gosh. This passage makes us uncomfortable. Not something we're proud of. This passage may make us feel uncomfortable. It may bring about much confusion, but because they're words from the mouth of Jesus, who is our forever loving Lord and Savior, we must humbly seek to understand what it means. In the time we have remaining, I want to shed some light on this passage with the hope that by the end, will all come to know God's goodness and love like never before. You guys ready? All right, we're going to go fast. All right, first of all, this is not literal. Just wanted to clear that up. When Jesus says his followers must be willing to surgically remove hands, feet, and eyes in order to be free from sin, he's not being literal. He's not for real, for real, like do it. No, he's not. Jesus does not intend for his followers to carry this out literally. But the reason why I'm just bringing this up, because most of you know it's not literal. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because tra tragically, there have been some who have taken a literal approach and have suffered much pain and agony before, because of this. The most well-known has to be Origen of Alexandria, right? He was a first-century um, theologian and scholar who chose to emasculate himself to overcome his compulsive sexual desires, okay? I watched a documentary um, on YouTube last week about a man who did something similar, right? Um, he was in so much distress about his failure to remain sexually pure, he literally took matters into his own hands. 
you've probably seen shows like The Handmaid's Tale, okay? And if you've watched it, I'm not judging you. It's all good, right? It came out, I think, last year, and um, part of the show or within the show are kind of the practices, all right, of, of, of Christians or religious people um, 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 doing what they're doing um, or taking Jesus literally. History is absolutely filled with people um, who took a literal approach to what Jesus has said, right? And you can imagine how they ended up. But by encouraging his followers to do this, Jesus is not being literal, but because, and this is important, because it's not literal does not mean we're off the hook. What Jesus is demanding from his followers is still very radical. Even though it's not literal, it's still very much radical. It will still require some sort of sacrifice Jesus is not calling us to physical mutilation, but he sure is calling whoever has decided to follow him to spiritual mortification. That is the removal of anything in our life that has the potential to lead us to sin. It's still very much a radical call by Jesus. He is calling us as believers to take seriously sin in a way that leads us to remove anything in our life that has or is having or is leading us to sin. And so my question to you this morning is, what person, place, or possession in your life is causing you to sin? It may be time to remove it from your life if it continues to hinder you and cause you to stumble into sin. And so from this passage, we not only learn about the need for us to rid ourselves of anything that will prevent us from a life with God, but we also are going to be learning about the reality and the horror of hell as a punishment for those who reject the life-giving God. And so from the very lips of Jesus, we're given a glimpse into the reality and horror of hell. And you guys know this, but in former generations, hell was talked about a lot, okay? And most of the time, it was done in a fiery manner, right? With Fire and brimstone, right? You guys probably can picture that preacher guy who's wearing the worst suit ever, right? And he's just giving it and talking about hell with fire and brimstone. But in our generation, the topic of hell has become a bit of a hot topic. 
no pun intended. It makes a lot of people mad. Many people either dismiss hell as a myth or treat it as a joke. And I'm sure you know people like that, that totally say, oh, hell, not a real place, absolutely deny the existence of it. And then you do have people that you know that probably just see it as a joke. It's just fun. And it's something someone from Pixar or Disney created and came up with. Okay? But because Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else, and because the Bible contains vivid descriptions of hell, we must hold to the belief that hell is real. But if I can be honest, and if you were to do the same, the reality of hell is very difficult to accept and believe. Many people that we love and respect have also struggled with the idea of hell being real. They've struggled. Um, C.S. Lewis, anyone heard of C.S. Lewis? Okay, he struggled with the reality of hell. This is what he said. This is what he said. There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this. If it lay in my power... But, if, but it has the full support of Scripture and, especially, of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom, and it has the support of reason. Even though we struggle with hell, the whole idea of hell, um, Jesus and the Bible... And throughout the history of Christianity have affirmed the reality of hell. Hell is not only real, but it's also described as a place of horror. And we know this because of how Jesus describes it in the passage we've read. He describes it using phrases like unquenchable fire and the place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Elsewhere in the Bible, hell is described as a place of torment where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are vivid and graphic descriptions of hell. Another reason we know that hell is a place of terror and punishment is the history behind the word Jesus um, uses for hell. In this um, verse, he uses the word hell um, three times in this passage, and the word um, translates as hell here is Gehenna. Okay, everybody say Gehenna. If you were in those days saying Gehenna, they would translate it as hell, okay? They would translate it as hell. It comes from a Hebrew phrase, the Valley of Hinnon. And this valley was an actual valley outside of the city of Jerusalem where a wicked king called Ahaz worshipped a pagan god. And as a result of worshipping this pagan god, it led him to sacrificing his children in fire. And this appalling practice was thankfully um, brought to an end when king, a king named Josiah came in, and came in and destroyed it all. And after this, um, um, or the destruction of this place, um, the place came 
to be used for dumping and burning garbage um, and dead bodies of criminals and dead carcasses were thrown in and it was a place where there just was fire and they would throw in garbage and throw in dead bodies. And so over time, Gehenna then became a Jewish metaphor for the place of final punishment the fires of hell. And Jesus used the word for hell back then, Gehenna, as a metaphor to describe the fate of all those who reject him. And so from the very lips of Jesus, we're given a glimpse into hell. Hell is real. It's a place of terror beyond our ability to imagine. It just is. And by urging us to remove anything in our life that can lead us to sin by unveiling the horrific punishment for sin in hell, Jesus was helping us understand just how terrible our sin and guilt is before a holy God. In other words, listen to this, we understand how bad sin is when we not only understand the sacrifice is being encouraged to rid ourselves of it or avoid it, but also the terrible and righteous punishment of hell that comes with it. Sin is hurtful. Sin is harmful. Sin is destructive. Sin is deceptive. Sin, if not dealt with, leads us down a path towards an eternity of deep anguish and relentless torment that is never ending. But worst of all, when it comes to sin, sin separates us from the life-giving God. This is exactly, ladies and gentlemen, this is exactly why Jesus is urging us to take drastic measures to avoid it. And by doing this, by helping us see the severity of sin and by calling us to make sacrifices to avoid it, Jesus wants us to recognize this. Jesus wants us to recognize just how much we need him to bridge the gap um, of sin that separates us from the life of God. He's helping us see here the utter hopelessness of winning the war against sin on the basics of our uh, work. No amount of self-sacrifice is enough to deliver us from the presence, the penalty, and the punishment of sin. This is what Jesus is making us see here. Right? He's talking about the severity of sin and the fact that we should do all we can to rid ourselves of sin and not put ourselves in harm way or anything like that. And he's also showing us the consequences of sin, which is, the, which is hell. And he's showing us because it just reminds us over and over again that we are hopeless in our battle against sin. We are hopeless no amount of self-sacrifice is enough to deliver us from the presence, the penalty, and the punishment of sin. And this makes a lot of sense because sin is more a matter of the heart than the removal of outside influences. 
Lasting change happens from the inside out. Becoming righteous and sinless before a holy God is not achieved by the removal of people, places, and possessions from our lives because no matter what we, we remove, no matter what we take out of our lives, we're still going to find a way to sin. We really are. None of us, if we're honest with ourselves, none of us measure up to this passage. We all do and say things that cause others to sin all the time. Most of the time, we're not willing to let go of things that lead us to sin. We're not always willing to make the needed sacrifices to avoid sin. And sometimes sin is more appealing to us than our relationship with God. And this all is precisely why we desperately need Jesus. This is what Jesus is trying to get us to see. By revealing in graphic detail the costly sacrifices expected from his followers, Jesus is helping us see how impossible it is for us to meet God's standard of holiness through our own abilities and sacrifices. Our standing with God is not based on how well we keep this passage, but on how well Jesus has kept the demands of this passage for us. Through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, through his victorious resurrection, Jesus paid the full penalty for our sin. He suffered all the pain of hell that we deserve so that we don't have to. Jesus made the necessary sacrifices for our sins so that we may avoid the never-ending torments of hell and gain access to the kingdom of God. We are all sinners before a righteous and holy God. But what a joy it is for us to know that through faith in Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross, we can be spared the punishment of hell and enter instead into the joy of the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you can't appreciate, you just can't. You can't appreciate the beauty of the gospel until you recognize the ugliness of sin and the terror of hell. Jesus becomes so much more precious when you realize just what he has rescued you from. And knowing what Jesus has saved you from and what he has achieved for you should be 
should be. All that Jesus has done, ladies and gentlemen, if you're here and you're Christian, all that Jesus has saved you from, all that Jesus has done for you, should be the motivation for removing anything in your life that may cause you to sin. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Like understanding what Jesus has done is the motivation. Hell shouldn't be the motivation. Hell is that, but the primary ultimate motivation for why you should be willing to rid your life of anything that entangles you into sin is by looking at Jesus and being reminded of everything he's done for you and the sacrifices he, he, he endured so that you may be forgiven of sin and so that you may escape the terrors of hell. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're sitting there wide-eyed like a deer in headlights and you're like, wow. <laughs> Know that Jesus isn't warning you about the severity of sin and hell because he's being cruel. He's not saying it to be morbid or ruin your day. He's not doing that. He lovingly warns you about hell because he does not want you to go there. He knows the consequences of your heart problem and he loves you so much that he came to save you from those consequences to rescue you from your sin. So today, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I would ask you to consider making a lifetime commitment to Jesus Christ. Will you be willing to explore a relationship with the good, trustworthy, generous, fulfilling, life-giving God who loved you so much he gave his only son so that if you believe in Jesus, you may not perish but have eternal life. And if that is you and you are interested in exploring Jesus, come and see me and one of these leaders, and we'll be happy to pray with you. And on that note, let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time here. Thank you for reminding us of your goodness and your greatness in light of the seriousness of sin and the um, reality and horror of hell. Thank you. You are so good. You are so good. May we understand your goodness and your grace and mercy even more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.